Hi, Matt McDonough. You know, there are times when you're out there looking for the most perfect podcast for you. And I'm here to let you know that you don't have to look anymore. There's a special podcast network out there called the Tangent Bound Podcast Network. They've got everything you could possibly ever look for in a podcast. Everything. So, if you're looking for something to fill your ear holes, or just something nice to listen to, head on over to tangentboundnetwork.com. Click on the channels link, and go ahead, listen to your heart's content. Here at Tangent Bound Network, we'll leave the mics on for you. Sword of Omens, come to my hand. I, Liono, command it. I also command that you keep listening to Adrian Has Issues. Hey guys, welcome to Adrian Has Issues. I'm Adrian. As you know, or maybe you don't know, maybe this is the first time you're hearing this show. One thing I always try to do first and foremost is make as high quality a podcast as possible. You don't want to listen to a podcast where the audio sounds absolutely terrible. And believe me, I don't like putting it out and it's very off-putting to listen to. Unfortunately, sometimes things invariably slip to the cracks, whether you have equipment failure or maybe there's a glitch in the matrix, so to speak. But unfortunately, today's episode had a bit of a snafu in terms of the audio quality at the very beginning of the show. So you're not going to lose any content necessarily, but... You will lose my traditional intro because for whatever reason, it sounded like I was coming through like a drive through speaker and it was very off putting to listen to. And to tell you the truth, I don't want you guys getting the wrong impression and I couldn't put it out on good faith. Uh, to do a little prefacing though, because of course you're not going to hear it in the traditional intro. Today's guest is an author and a columnist, RJ Haneke. I met him, I believe he was at Eternal Con in Long Island, and I think also briefly at New York Comic Con, but he's a great writer of a book called Cyber War. Obviously, you'll hear more about that. We get to this great discussion about hacktivism, about political politics, and of course, as well as uh, cyber security, RJ starts the show telling a story of this incredible road trip he went through. And I'm actually just going to read the passage from his website, which paints the picture a little bit better. At age 19, R.J. Haneke traveled across the country from New York to California in a dilapidated van with no brakes or heat in the winter. And it was there that he began to write his first novel. And this story is absolutely nuts. Um, it's very reminiscent of Jack Kerouac's On the Road or Hunter S. Thompson's Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, assuming they were done in the winter. And it's a really great story, and it really just sort of sets the tone for not only this episode, but also Archie Haneke's life. And he's a really great guy, and we had a, a fantastic discussion, and I learned a lot, and hopefully you guys did too. I'm going to let you get into the episode, but before we go, please check out Adrian Has Issues on Twitter at Adrian Has Issues. I'm on Facebook at facebook.com slash Adrian Has Issues. 
I'm on Instagram at Adrian Has Issues Pod. I'm on Stitcher and I'm on iTunes. And also, if you're on iTunes, do me a huge solid. Please leave a rating and review because if nothing else, the feedback definitely helps the show reach other listeners. And also, it's a good way to gauge what's going on because to tell you the truth, as much as I love doing podcasts, I want to know that you guys are having a good time or if you're not having a good time. So it's kind of a back and forth sort of thing. And also the show is a proud, proud member of the Tangent Bound Podcast Network. I've been a member for only a couple of months now, but yet they've been a great podcast network. So I definitely appreciate all they've done for this show and all of their support. And also thank you guys for listening. Whoever has retweeted, uh, shared a post on Facebook, uh, told friends it airs, or just listen at your day because I know there are about so many hours in a day to do things and to listen to me talk comics or what have you for an hour. That means a lot, so I really appreciate that. I'm gonna let you get back to the show and RJ Hunneke will explain his amazing road trip. See you in a bit. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, fear and loathing meets uh, meets Jack Kerouac's on the road for sure. Um, <laughs> it was probably the uh, the dumbest and the toughest thing I've ever done in my life. But you know, it's something that um, you know it's it's it stayed with me and given me you know some life experiences that was uh, uh, truly, I guess, just really left a big mark on me. But um, yeah, when I was nineteen, I decided I, I had had a tough time trying to go uh, away to college at that time and had a lot of uh, anxiety issues that I didn't even kind of realize what was happening and really needed to be supporting myself, you know, working full time to be at school. And it just wasn't happening. And I come home and I'm, I'm very unhappy. And uh, at that time, the uh, remaining members of the Grateful Dead had gotten together for the first time since the passing of Jerry Garcia. And when they had a tour, I said to my girlfriend at the time, I said, you know what? I have a, I have a shitty job. I'm powder coating shelves for this awful uh, warehouse. And I just want to go uh, see the country and maybe hear some music. And, and so we, we kind of hit the road in this van. She did not last very long. Uh, she went back east in, in Chicago. I went up and down the East Coast with a band of strange uh, uh, people that I met here and there. And uh had a lot of uh, near-death experiences, um, you know, breaks going out at the top of uh, at the top of some of those fun California hills, uh, steep hills, and uh, outside San Francisco, and then uh, propelling myself down a hill and over a highway, which I had where I had no control over the thing, and, and miraculously, holy crap! Oh yeah, yeah. No, I, uh, I I'm not uh, I'm not a religious guy. And I have many, I won't even get into that, but uh, <laughs> I do have a belief in, in God. And one of the reasons would certainly be that uh, I should have died on that highway because I saw cars coming and I should have, uh, there's no way I should have gotten across this highway. Um, you know, and I basically with, with no brakes and a lot of momentum, I went all the way across the highway and then up another hill until that, that you know, finally stopped at the top of the hill that took my momentum. Wow, that's incredible, man. <laughs> like, I mean, I've driven a car without brakes. I mean, not intentionally. It was uh, driving from South Jersey to Northern Jersey after a concert. My brakes gave out after a near miss with somebody. And I thought that was frightening. But, of course, that's only going 
you know, quite a while, but you pretty much drove cross country with like with no brakes. So I mean, that that's that's a hell of a life journey. Well, I, I, t- I tell you what, I became a much better driver for it. <laughs> <laughs> you learn very quickly uh, the, the master cylinder in this van. It was a '78 Dodge van, and the master cylinder was uh, you know was going bad, and so. I had the slightest amount of brake. You would step on the pedal, and the pedal would go to the floor. But right before it went on the floor, you'd get, you'd get a little bit of brake. And at that point, you could shift. You know, it was automatic, but you could shift right. that into neutral. And, and then if you're at a light or something, put it in park so you don't stop rolling. You know, I, that's what I did. I mean, you learn to uh, to take your foot off the accelerator and kind of naturally decelerate. And uh, it's uh, I don't recommend it. It's very, very dangerous. But... <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I got surprisingly far, you know, I got, you know, from New York and up and down the East Coast. I mean, at one point, I even went and saw my friend, uh, my best friend up at, up at Albany College, and I was driving up the road during a blizzard. So during a blizzard, I have no heat, the windshield is icing up, and uh, I'm following a plow, because basically that's, that's <laughs> the path that they're making for me on these wow. paths that I, I can see well enough to go forward. And yes, yeah, so, I mean, and then from there, you know, on across the country, and, and uh, right about Wyoming, which is just about dead nuts, two-thirds of the way across the country, my alternator crapped out on me. And uh, I don't know if you know about, you know, alternators, but if your alter- your alternator recharges your system and your car battery, and if the alternator goes bad, it will actually drain your battery. So seeing as I had no other alternative, I didn't have the money to, uh, to get an alternator and get this thing fixed. Halfway through Wyoming, I actually ripped out the alternator, and that was then on the passenger seat with me from the rest of the way from Wyoming to... <laughs> Uh, true story. It's, uh, every night I would stop at a rest stop and, and the auto zone type places, uh, are kind enough to, they'll charge any battery for you for free. You know, they'll just put it on a charger. So every night I would take the battery out and, uh, bring it there. And I knew that I had one good shot to start up the van in the morning. And if that didn't work, I'd be bringing the battery back for a couple hours of charging. And, uh, at one point the battery was uh, probably fit to burst from the stress. They're not made to do that. And uh, Yeah, I can imagine like your car even held up under all that. It didn't hold up very well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it definitely did not. And, uh, you know, the battery was basically done for from this misuse. And I went to pick it up one morning, and the, the person there in the morning said, oh, oh, here's your battery. And they, they brought me a smaller but a brand new battery and i'm like well no no, this isn't my battery you know i brought this in and they're like no no trust me this is yours take it and so they kind of gifted me a battery to get me from at that point it was probably uh, nevada to uh you know tahoe where i got into california and then i spent some time in sacramento and about uh, six months or so just outside of san francisco that's incredible i I, like i said i commend you first off but during this journey i mean what are you even thinking at this point because i mean according to body you said that's when you started working on a novel so is that just where that happened like you have all this time to yourself so is that where you really just kind of came up with the premise of the book um it it was you know some a lot of that i had a lot of a lot of free time as you can imagine and uh you know i was ripped off by a number of people and and you know out of money and one of my kind of dreams i had always been writing a lot of uh uh, song lyrics and and kind of poetry and things and I, i continue to write poetry although not songs so much and i i'm a huge bob dylan fan i mean i i 
just think the man's one of the greatest composers that's ever lived and, and writers. And, uh, I just had the delusion in my head that, you know, Bob Dylan at one point when he started out in New York city, he, he played the subways to basically panhandle as the Jimi Hendrix. Um, right. And I did that, you know, uh, the awful uh, woman that I was with at the time lived in the area of Queens, and we went and made some money down there. And you know, and I did that at some you know rest stops. Uh, you know, I just played you know knocking on heaven's door, and uh, you know some some great tunes uh, to get a little bit of money just to get further. And uh, you know, I just had an extraordinary amount of free time, so a lot of thinking about you know what I might want to do. And then when I got to California, I got a job essentially, uh, you know, a lawn guy. <laughs> Basically, right? guy that had a, a small business and uh and he was actually a retired english teacher and uh he said to me well I, you know you, you've been jotting down some notes and you love to write and have you ever looked into poets and writers magazine have you ever read the elements of style by eb white and william strunk and uh you know white being the author of charlotte's web and so he uh he kind of tossed some of these things my way and i i just started basically hiking, hiking some beautiful paths. Uh, and I would just spend hours, I would hike and I would stop by a tree or I would sit down and I would, you know, start writing. And, and, you know, that became the first couple hundred pages that, uh, started off my first novel when I was 19. Awesome, man. Like, that's so cool. Like, and I guess, uh, while I've never had anything published, but I've been writing since I pretty much could. And, you know, you start reading things, you know, like your Kerouac types or your Hunter S. Thompson realized, I, you know, I, I, everybody kind of dreams that sort of life, you know, being, you know, kind of making like these weird journeys and just kind of really finding yourself and then writing your first collected works that way. But uh, it looks like you did that, maybe not necessarily intentionally, but. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's 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 funny, you know, because I love, uh, you know, I love on the road. I love Kerouac. I love that kind of thing. But it, it was very much unintentional that it all just kind of fell out. <laughs> right some people go out of the way to live that life to tell the story but well <laughs> it's a little bit different here yeah i was just kind of like you know uh, it's uh chicago i'm now alone i've always wanted to see california let me just go there and maybe uh you know i played some coffee shops playing some tunes and you know realized pretty quickly that i wasn't going to be the next bob dylan music wise and uh <laughs> but uh you know it really put me on a on another path you know that uh you know it really it's something that I, I love so much that I, you know, I've continued to write this this first no fiction novel. I, I've been writing most of my life like you. I've been writing most of my life. But uh, it wasn't until I went back to college that I started getting published. I, I, I wrote for Newsday. And the whole time, you know, I'd be working full time. I'd be uh, going to school and working. I was always writing novels. And uh, this is the first fiction novel that actually, you know, was picked up by a major publisher. And so I'm, I'm ecstatic because uh, I've, I've, you know, I've published short fiction. I've published uh, hundreds of nonfiction articles, if not thousands, and then lots of uh you know, even some poetry and all, you know, all kinds of things. But, you know, this is where my love for the craft is, you know, what, what, I, what I really love doing. And I have a lot of friends that they're still yelling at me to actually write kind of what happened to me on the road, you know, to make an on-the-road type novel. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I still haven't been comfortable with that kind of thing because I think Kerouac is just, was just so good at it. Uh, and Fear and Loathing as well, for that matter. <laughs> Very true, though, but I guess in a way... Those stories are considered untouchable, but 
at the same time, you never really know who you would probably inspire with those stories. And obviously yours may not necessarily be Kerouac or um, Thompson, but I mean, shoot. I, I just now I'm listening to this. I'm like, wow, this is this is an awesome story. Like, I would love to hear more about this. But I understand maybe it's very personal, and some of it you may not be comfortable with, you know, sharing certain elements of it, unless it's just a matter of you feel that it's already been done. I, I think it's a mix of both. Yeah, it's it's a mix of both. It would definitely be very personal. There's a lot of raw, painful memories associated with that time, and then also you know some beautiful memories. I mean, seeing the sunset. You know, going across the Salt Flats in Utah and seeing the sunset over the Rocky Mountains is uh, near Salt Lake City is one, you know, one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. You know, uh, but um, you know, it's uh, it would be difficult. You know, I, I I've given a little bit more credence to to you know uh, before I, w- I was a definite no, I would never write that story. But I may be relenting. You know, it may take some time, but in time, maybe it's 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 something that I'll do. Uh, I definitely like to come up with some kind of. I always try to be innovative, so I'd like to come up with some kind of semi-original way to to put it out there. Right. One thing about anybody who's creative. You can't really, I mean, some people maybe could, but you can't really rush that. And if you're not in it, like if your heart's not in it completely, it's not really going to work out well. So in due time, if that's what it really comes down to, then, you know, you'll find a way. Yeah, I I couldn't agree with you more, Adrian. I I could not. So let's talk Cyber War. Yeah. Now, this is the book that I had uh, checked out and we had talked a little bit about. And like I said at the beginning of the show is that. More and more, we're starting to see, you know, I I read a lot of fiction, especially when dealing with a lot of things like, obviously, cyber terrorism, cyber warfare, and realizing that our battles, maybe more and more as we progress, are going to be less about, you know, guns on foreign soil, but really, like, right here at our own laptops and computers, and realize that this is now something that I think people thought would never really come to fruition, but it's really starting to manifest itself very strangely. So whether it be fiction, nonfiction, just, you know, real life, that this is something that we're starting to pay attention to more and more. So what was really the inspiration behind Cyber War? Well, it's a few different things. You know, I've written for a, a magazine called Get Ismo for many years, and, and that's basically on technology and gadgets in general. And so I've written about robotics and researched it. And, you know, I have a friend that's been developing AI to get robots to discern faces and crowds, which just frightens the hell out of me. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> technology to me is a double-edged sword. One edge is very sharp and very effective. And, and I love gadgets and I and I use them very, very much. And on the other side, it, it's very dangerous and easy for, for humanity, to, I think, to, to kind of cut ourselves. And so... I've been researching political protests and demonstrations around the world, uh, a lot of research on the Egyptian revolution when that went down a couple of years ago, um, some, uh, certainly a lot of research into uh, Occupy when it was much more prominent. And I, you know, I began to realize that there was a whole other thing going on called hacktivism. And uh, you know the the hackers that have taken to activism themselves and said – well, you know what? There's a group of websites that have child pornography that, you know, for whatever reason, they've been up for years. Nobody will take them down. Fine. We're going to band together and take them down. And they go and they do that. I was just reading today. Um, I know Anonymous being one of the group where I think it was um, today I just found out that they actually hacked uh, the KKK's database and were pretty much exposing the members of that organization. Yeah, which is, I mean, that kind of thing. I think that's 
phenomenal. <laughs> right. But at the same I'm time, though, I try my best. It's hard because with a group like Anonymous, for they have done some works that, you know, maybe in a way I see myself agreeing with where they expose, you know, people who are doing like a lot of illegal deeds or shining a light on individuals who other people unfortunately look past and doing so in a way that, you know, like you said, like, unfortunately, when it comes to, you know, pedophiles and things like that, but there are some others who then use that power for something a little bit more, I, I, I guess it's, it's hard to say, like, not necessarily for, for, I guess for ill, really, for lack of a better term, yeah. that they use those abilities to then disrupt the system as opposed to maybe using it to work towards something of a greater good. Yeah, no, I, I, you're you're absolutely right, and especially with Anonymous in particular, because Anonymous has grown exponentially over the last couple of years, you know, and so I've been following right. all manner of of uh, activists and many things in cybersecurity, and Anonymous has become huge, and you know, obviously the uh, you know, I mean, just with the name, you can see that uh, it's supposed to be you know a, a group of power, but you know, a group that comes together for you know, to have uh, some, some powerful means, whether they're working individually or together, they're working for a common goal, but there are, it's become so big that there are factions. And I, I've seen, you know, some horrible factions that are taking some of their sometimes religious extremism views and, and, you know, they've done horrible acts, you know, in the name of anonymous. So unfortunately, um, there's definitely, uh, it's not, it's not really black and white, you know, these things have kind of really brought home to me the, the reality that we all kind of sit in, you know, it's, it's, we like to hear the tales of good and evil, and there is that in the world, but unfortunately, there's also a lot of difficulties with that kind of thing. You know, I mean, there are drug mules that are brought up from third world nations, and they're brought into the United States, and that's a horrible thing, and they're bringing poison in, and then... When you see that some of them have almost no idea of the operation that's going on and they're not benefiting, but their families held hostage at gunpoint to, you know, to force these people to do this, you know, it's horrible. And uh, there's a lot of that kind of grayness to the cyber world. It's amazing to me that a, a lot of it is the intellect and the skills, many of these people that, that they can then, you know, an individual that, that could be extremely young can still do incredible things, you know, in coding and, you know, really help or, you know, or hurt various places online you know I, I have the utmost respect for um, all cybersecurity individuals and you know I, I have been one to build some websites and to do a lot of you know some design work and that kind of thing but I you know I don't have coding the you know the astrophysics the uh, that the number crunching in me you know to, to go through the binary and do what these guys do I I can understand a good degree of what they do as I research it but I, I can't um, it amazes me what what's done you know and so you have these abilities where here's an individual that could be anywhere in the world and can now do these extraordinary things and and that's a lot of a lot of power um and it's not just individuals either it's it's governments as well as as you know the governments are trying to i think catch up to say well you know we need to to harvest more of these uh programmers whether it be for defensive purposes or for offensive purposes right but it's that greatness that you mentioned it's like I said, it's extraordinary, but it's also frightening because what's to keep somebody from doing something for the good of the people? But what's to keep somebody from just much like I sit down and say, you know, what, I'm bored. I'm going to go play a game on PlayStation. What's to keep somebody from saying, you know what? I'm bored. I'm going to like, you know, hack into a database and stealing someone's identity or something far worse than that. Yeah. You know, it goes beyond that as well, because there are people that, you know, are in this world that are starving. 
and now you're starving and you have no means of making money except to maybe go and try to steal some, uh, you know, some credit card accounts, you know, hacking, uh, you know, in online for some personal uh, information. That's become a big part of it. You know, a lot of the people that get involved and, and kind of have been doing some of these things out of uh, this is fun and amazing to do. They're getting involved in cybersecurity and they're some of our best and, and they're really kind of the unsung heroes of, of all of us that use everything online now in this digital age. And these guys are, uh, you know, regardless of, of what they were doing, they're now testing everything for vulnerabilities and, you know, basically making the, the digital walls to, to prevent what's at times desperate people or governments trying to maliciously, you know, go after us, go after, you know, critical parts of, uh, you know, of our society. Um, you know, just last week, there was a great program on PBS. Uh, there's a program called Nova. They have various shows, and they just put one up on Cyberware last week. And I watched it, and, you know, it's an hour program, very brief. Right. But it touched on a lot of specific things that I've researched in detail over the last few years. And I was amazed that this was kind of being brought out into somewhat of the mainstream. But they were, you know, they were talking about the Sony hack. And, well, you know, this this movie seemed like it pissed off the North Koreans. And it's very possible that the North Koreans, in turn, then hacked Sony and, you know, very badly. And this is all being used on a model of however it was, whoever did it, it was, it's being used on a model from Stuxnet, which was this very, very specific program that targeted these, uh, uh PLCs, I believe, uh, these, these tiny computers attached to machines, which we all have, you know, buildings now have these in elevators. So it used to be there was no computers associated with elevators, but that's completely changed now. And that's part of the problem of our dependency on so much digital means. Once you put a computer chip in something, anybody can get into it, especially if it's not prepared for, you know, being hacked, which a lot of these aren't. And so right. it went and, and destroyed a lot of Iranian centrifuges that were making the elements of nuclear power and or bombs. That's something pretty incredible because when that Sony hack happened, of course, talking about the the movie, the interview, there was so much buzz and controversy surrounding the movie. Theaters wouldn't show it, or you know, they were worried that broadcasting a movie would cause you know further reprisal. After that kind of dialed down, then more and more news came out about the Sony hacks. And a lot of the information that we heard of was very superficial, like you know, the whole Idris Elba bomb thing or interpersonal emails between Sony execs and so on and so forth. But I don't know if anyone realized that the the more troubling part was that they got hacked and it's not even the first time Sony's been hacked. I know there was also the uh, the issue where I know, I guess, the PlayStation Network, they had Sony been hacked before, which one of the things that they hurt was the online infrastructure yep. of the console gaming. But it was much more frightening than just whether or not the head of Sony feels that Idris Elba would be a good James Bond. It, it was much scarier than that. Yeah, no, I, you're absolutely right. It was very targeted. You know, that was the thing with, you know, Stuxnet was targeted to one or two facilities and that was it and this was this was kind of the first big public response to that that here was something that was very targeted for a you know for a, a very malicious purpose and definitely directed at you know sony and, the, and their executives to really really kind of uh, go after them and you know that kind of you know just opened the doors you know so everybody kind of looked at that and said wow okay um yeah, I mean, people are being, you know, hacked and companies are being hacked for many years. But now it's it's a direct call of cyber warfare. You know, cyber war has been going on for a long time. But, you know, it's it's out and uh, the cat's out of the bag. You know, it's it's 
I hate to use that. I do something like the cat's out of the bag, but that's, you know. <laughs> that's okay. You know what? I feel like, yeah, it, it may be a cliched phrase, but at the same time, I, I think that it fits perfectly. But now, taking everything that's happened in the real world landscape, you then decided to mold that into your book. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I've been doing all of this research, and I... I wrote a couple of novels that, you know, will probably never see the light of day and I had some some of the research was from them. I had all of this kind of going on in my head and and I'm thinking about I'm thinking about how I I, I despise the way that, you know, headlines are often put out there and people aren't even reading the article, you know, and then there's these stances that are taken and they're so black and white and and that there, there was so much criticism, too, of, you know, a lot of hacktivists that I felt were doing just amazing work to really try and you know, get together and, and help their fellow man. And regardless of what you, you, you know, anybody thinks about how Occupy, whether it was good or bad or whether it did anything, it really did bring people together and, and call into question how we were all at the will of, you know, a bunch of corrupt bankers and, and how unlike, um, I, I, I believe it's Greenland. It was either Greenland or Iceland. I think it was Greenland, though, that, that put their corrupt bankers on trial. And when they were found guilty, put them in jail. We, we didn't go that route. Um, <laughs> you know, so with all of that kind of, you know, and some rage boiling inside me, I, uh, you know, I went to some paper. And as often happens, I will come up with a line and that line will put me off in a direction that will start me on a whole work. The first line is is not as it was originally written, but the, the gist of it was, you know, it all went to hell when the world's greatest cyber warriors chose to wage war for themselves instead of the governments that hired them. And the gist of that was there. And my wife was a very good editor, actually helped me over time to, it may sound silly, but I spent months, you know, trying to perfect that first sentence of the book. But that sentence, that sentence just set me off. That started me, you know, I went off on a tangent and you know, 50 pages later, then 100 pages later, it, it just kept going. I feel that there's a lot of great dystopian books out there. You know, I love the classics, Fahrenheit 451 and, and you know, from Bradbury and Orwell's 1984, of course, and so many others. But one thing that, uh, you know, The Hunger Games has come out, and I think they're great books, and it's had a lot of popularity. But one of the things that I wanted to try to address is... Here we are, we're, we're in this world where there are so many gray areas and all of these things are kind of happening. There are revolutions happening, then there are other revolutions that are dying. And there are people trying to stand out and, and do something about it and some people that are being stamped on before their voice is heard. And I decided I wanted to write a very realistic book that wasn't a dystopian book, but was a book that was about a world that could be could be a month, could be a year from today, maybe it's 50 years from today, but it's a world that is very realistic, very similar to what we have now and and hopefully where we won't go, but where we could be going in the near future, you know, and uh, right. that's that's really where that that kind of all came from. I I wanted to say well if we're if we're a digital society and and Everything is dependent on that now. I do not think that's a good idea, by the way, in my own personal views. <laughs> um, but uh, if that's where we're going, well, then guess what? I, I don't think it would be too far-fetched for some hackers to get fed up with the people that have hired them, the governments, and to then recreate society. You know, take Especially if they're going to do so and say, all right, you know what? We've taken over the western the western part. We've taken over from Canada to Peru, and we're going to keep the semblance of governments in place. We're going to keep the cyber United States in place. It's a democracy, except really there's 
the unsung anonymous cabinet of the president who was really kind of pulling the strings, you know, this uh, a cyber elite. And so the whole society then is based on your ability to use a computer. Right. You can be a corporate mogul. You can be a CEO of a company. But the amount of real power that you have is going to be very minimal if you do not have the computing ability. And that's something you see a lot now, though, because a lot of jobs that weren't technology based have now become that way. It's it's very true. You know, I've helped uh, family. You know, some you know some people have. Uh, you know, let's say somebody's been working. You know, they're they're middle aged. They've been working. You know, at different places for many many years. They're not far from retirement. Now all of a sudden they have to apply to a job again. Well, now it's it's all online. You know, it's it's you have to embrace this and and you know learn a new skill set to to function to be able to uh, you know even be allowed into society to earn a living. And that has certainly – you're right. It's it's definitely already becoming a, a, a standard. And if we, we keep pushing that and, you know, you de- you decrease your importance in the arts and some other important programs, you, you, you know, other education for other areas, then it's a, it can be a scary place, you know. And, and now, of course, if you're still trying to govern people and, and you have, a, you know, an oligarchy in place – that's probably not a good idea either, you know, and uh, it's arguable whether or not, you know, many of the countries around the world that say they're a democracy are an oligarchy. But if you were now to have an oligarchy of, uh, you know, some cyber elite that are in various places of the world, it would be very different. You know, there would be some major upsides and some major downsides. And uh, if the world is, is entirely dependent on the digital and you know, that's when uh, you could easily find yourself getting into trouble if, if you disagree with some of what they're doing. You know, uh, now there is no privacy. There is nowhere to hide. The semblance, at least in the, in the views of society, of black and white is there. You know, so either you're with us or you're against us. You know, that's the kind of thing that too often it's, it's like that. You know, in the U.S., it's hard to discuss politics with people now. And the saddest part is that the you know, you you have a right and you have a left and a conservative and a and a progressive and um you know, I, I don't I don't think any of those sides have done much for us lately. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 hard because you're right. It's hard to talk politics and it's hard to sometimes make statements because I guess sometimes people may get the idea that, you know, you lean a certain way. It is difficult because politics is something like with let's say religion where it's very rooted in someone's belief system and not necessarily just spiritually, but just, I guess, their their code and their maybe their ethics or their morality. So, of course, when something comes out that maybe challenges that, you know, people get very personal and they get very passionate about it. And that's good. You should get passionate about it. But as we've seen so many times, it, it can lean towards a way where it becomes a little extreme on either end. And it, it, it's tough because... Thankfully, there are people who, at least I know personally, you know, we can talk about those things, but there are other people I know for a fact that while I get along with them, I know our views are completely different. And, but at the same time, maybe these things should be worked out. But I know myself, I don't necessarily volunteer my information how I feel about politics all the time. Yeah, it's not it's the same way with me. You know, I have, I have some friends that I, I love. I mean, they're, they're brothers to me. And, uh, you know, a lot of them I can talk to some of these things about, and some of them I, I just can't. You know, when you have some of these uh, extremist views, it's kind of a willful ignorance that's put up. And, you know, for me, it's it's all about the conversation. 
you know, it's not to make a stand and say this is right or this is wrong, but but you should be able to say, well, you know what, that's that's messed up. Let's talk about that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. But that's kind of what really brought on the inspiration for Cyber War because there were so many people that were you know denouncing hackers, and I said, well, wait a minute. I said this, this is some of these guys are our only defense, and then some of these guys are doing really good works and then of course there are some people that are you know that are doing horrible works and it's it's people should be able to uh you know in my mind to continue to educate themselves and to talk about things which which when you talk with others i mean that's debate is uh is great is great for that i mean you you know there's so many times i'm a very stubborn person and there are many times that i'm adamant about <laughs> you know i am i am right i am absolutely right and but but you know what i always listen and there are times where it's an hour later Sometimes it's minutes later, and sometimes it's a year or two later. And I, and I will say, you know what? I was dead wrong. I, I have thought about what you said, and that resonated with me. And I did some more research, and I was I was so wrong. And, and believe me, that happens a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but with hackers, it's tough, though, because seeing as how they work behind the scenes, I guess the idea is that you know, you're know you doing these works, whether they be good or bad or indifferent. But the idea is that this is going to sound stupid, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you're, you're working in the shadows. You're, you're almost, almost like a ninja. You're not supposed to see it coming and you really don't know necessarily who it's supposed to be from. So it's hard to really form an opinion unless you're really tapped into that world to really know what's going on. Cause otherwise you say to yourself, okay, what happens in the news often? And you know, I'm not necessarily using this as a way to slam the media, but when we find what we usually know about hackers, it's when someone breaks into, let's say, credit card records or maybe they decide to break in and steal information from let's say i don't know what was the website that got hacked on ashley madison and stuff like that where we find out that like oh hey maybe this celebrity had an account or maybe this guy had an account or that stuff but it's like you don't know who's necessarily doing these things so of course if you're looking at on the surface of course you'll read you'll think that yourself well these hackers clearly they are only doing these things you know just to just to cause disruption and for you know for ill means when it's hard to really know the other side of the coin adrian you you, you've hit the nail on the head i mean very very much so (laughs) because uh you're absolutely right you know you're you're absolutely right it's very difficult unless you're unless you're in the know unless you're looking at some of these uh uh there's an anon news feed, you know. I mean, unless you're out there looking at these things and and actually researching some of these occurrences, you know, you don't really know much. You, you know what you see by the headlines, and a lot of times, the, you know, based on our news and society now, which is awful, you're only seeing the headlines when it's a horrendous thing has happened. Um, and then, you know, it, it has been a, a very much a, a cloak and dagger thing, and that's part of. I'm a big James Bond fan, huge James Bond. Oh my gosh! Oh, so am I. Are you kidding me? Like that—that's my guy. <laughs> yeah, no, Ian Fleming is one of you know one of my favorites, and I you know I love all the movies, of course, as well. And uh, although I, I prefer the more realistic ones to some of the uh, Roger Moore stuff, but that's neither here nor there. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm with you on that. But uh, you know, I I love that stuff, and so that's why I said, you know what, I'm I'm gonna have what's a, a very realistic science fiction work that's you know definitely based on a lot of hard research, but I'm gonna bring in some of this uh, spy thriller to it, and and the part of the reason being, 
a lot of what is going on now is very cloak and dagger. You know, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, some of the corporate espionage, some of the, you know, a lot of the government works. And, and people should be saying to themselves, well, and especially when it's a, a government agency that's getting involved in cyber warfare, people should be saying to themselves, well, should the government be a little bit more transparent about that? You know, and that's, that's of course, one of, you know, Ed Snowden's biggest arguments is that, you know what, uh, if you're going to do some of these things, you should be more defensive than offensive and you should be a lot more transparent with your own people about it. That's a, definitely a large part of cyber war is, all right, we have this, this system and a lot of it is very secretive. And is that hurting us or helping us? You know, are, are we better off not knowing? I've consulted with and, and spoken with a number of cybersecurity people where this is, this is their livelihood. You know, some of them were black hats or red hats before and some of them were just straight white hats, you know, and just uh, only getting into hacking for the, you know, the curiosity aspect and not the malicious aspect but these guys have gone to now try and fight a war to protect all of us um you know i myself uh, i was getting ready to be married and my wife and i you know got a joint account together just to save up money for the wedding and uh, the big target hack hit and our you know our account was hacked and we oh god you know we were very fortunate because our bank was very good they got us the money right back immediately but this was our money for our wedding you know and, right uh, and that hack, and I've been told this by, you know, somebody that, you know, is really very knowledgeable about this. I mean, it is, is that hack was due to a, uh, something like an air conditioning unit in there or something, you know, that it had the, um, you know, the computer chips in there with no security measures whatsoever. And so you could just, you could just tap in. I mean, similar to, uh, we all have a Blu-ray player, you know, or a DVD player. Well, any DVD player bought after a certain point, they go online. You get firmware updates, which which help them right. run better. And uh, most of these things do not have any type of security at all. No capabilities for the security. And so they're online. Somebody else can get in, and and before you know it, you know here's uh, you know whatever it was, ten million or so, uh, you know names, information, accounts, and. Uh, you know that was uh, that was like the only place that we had spent money out of this joint account. And we're like, oh yeah, of course, yeah. Target got hacked, and we, you know, we bought some wedding whatever there, and there it is. I hate to. I'm always one. I don't like uh, reviewing something. Even when I was at Newsday, I would review a movie, and I wanted to give that movie an A or a D or an F. You know, I wanted to give you a recommendation of, all right, this thing is great, or this is the biggest steaming pile of you know dog <laughs> should stay away. Because otherwise, I mean, what what good is a lukewarm review if you're somewhat interested in seeing this film, you know, in my opinion. And so I, I try to, I do take stands, but I, I try to, in a very careful way, show both sides of the argument in many of these kind of issues in, in my works. Right. Uh, there's a conversation ongoing. And, and, you know, a lot of these things I can't take a stand on because I feel that it's such a gray area. I, I couldn't even take a stand on it. You know, that's just kind of the, the reality of the, the kind of gritty world that we're in and, and getting to. I know that's a long-winded answer, but... Uh. <laughs> There's so many facets to this. It's not black and white. So you really have to take everything into consideration. I, I think so. You know, I think education is one of the most important things 
you know, for all of us in the world. And no matter what you're doing, there is no excuse so long as you have Internet access and you're not overly censored. But unfortunately, many poor countries, uh, even well-developed countries, do have censored. You know, they can't get on Facebook or Twitter. They can't even follow a social media feed. But there are things that are going on that if, if you're not educating yourself, you, you have no idea. And then you, you know, people often take a stance being what I call willfully ignorant. You know, they're not, they might not even be ignorant people, but they're willfully saying, oh, you know, I've read these headlines, these resonate with me, and that's what I'm going with. And you take a stance on that, it's very, very dangerous and often misdirected. And that's done purposefully. You know, I mean, titles are made to have a hook and to grab you and, and, you know, if you don't actually fact check, it's it's very dangerous. So if you continue to educate, then you pick up things like, oh, wait a minute. Now, now, now this is ongoing, by the way. This is true. If you go on Twitter, okay, there are many factions of Anonymous on Twitter. And you can go on there and you can follow a feed that specifically targets members of ISIS that they find on Twitter. There is one Twitter feed that is put up there that all they do is post the Twitter handles of those that they've found to be doing horrible things from the, you know, the extremist group ISIS on Twitter. I'm not even going to get into ISIS and anybody's stance or anything else, but uh, ISIS is, you know, one group of terrorists that's done some horrible things and they've gotten involved in hacking and done some horrible hacks. And so there is a group dedicated and I've, you know, I've spoken in person numerous times with one of these individuals that they're going down and trying to take down some of these recruiting Twitter pages and some of these, uh, you know, Twitter pages that they know are, are doing horrible things. And I mean, to me, that's that's heroic, you know, uh, especially if, you know, they're never going to get any kind of credit for it. <laughs> but here's my thing, though. And this is what's up, because I know you said you've done your research and you've spoken to hackers yourself. But because that some of them are dealing with such sensitive material and exposing so many sensitive things, how do like how were they protected in that case? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like of course you're a James Bond guy. You know, like every time Bond goes to meet his contacts, usually like the first guy he goes to, just as he's finding out all this vital information, next thing you know, someone ends up silencing yeah. him before he can get the rest of the uh, the information. So, how is it that these guys are really able to then make this stuff known without exposing themselves in the process? Well, there are a number of ways. There are a number of ways out there, and these guys have to be extremely intelligent and smart, uh, you know, not just in what they do, but in how they do it and how they go about their business. They know a side of these things that, uh, you know, that I've only barely touched upon, barely glimpsed, and and so they know that, oh, hey, guess what? Uh, you're at the Javits Center for New York Comic Con. That's fantastic, right? Oh, look at this. This is so cool. Luther Corp, Lex Luther, you know, from Superman. They're giving out free Wi-Fi. That's fantastic. Yeah, I noticed that, by the way. Yeah, well, that, I mean, that, that's a great publicity thing. You know, I, 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 I was like, oh, that is hilarious. That is so smart. The Wi-Fi is always terrible in Javits, no matter how they do it. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> I, yeah, um, I couldn't like, log on to it anyway. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, this is just brilliant, you know, get some Lex Luthor appeal, you know, and then and then somebody, you know, just with a regular smartphone comes over to me and says, oh, yeah, take a look at this. See, there's there's LexCorp. All right, let's look on there. Oh, and here's the IP addresses for the 10,000, 20,000 people that are on the network right now. Whoa. And I said, holy shit. <laughs> yeah, holy shit. Indeed. I mean, is that easy? <laughs> so, you know, the reason I bring that up, these guys know backwards and forwards how to protect themselves from 
that kind of thing, which is which is so obvious and so easy when it's out there, when you know what to look for. And they also work very hard with organizations. There are a lot of nonprofit organizations to educate everyone on how to better protect themselves and to be, you know, to to have more privacy. And you know, I've written on the subject. And and whether you think uh, Edward Snowden is a traitor or a hero, the one thing that you cannot deny that the man did, he brought so much awareness to the importance of encryption and to security that within a year or so. The major, major, huge corporations, the Facebooks and the Googles, took things like HTTPS, uh, you know, a secure connection, and made them a standard where they should have been doing that for years. Right. But they had no intention of doing that. And when he comes out with these things and creates such a buzz that everybody says, well, wait a minute, why is the standard, you know, for anybody that doesn't know, you know, when you put in www.google.com, in the in, in you know up where the URL is you know up where the name is to the left of that there's HTTP you know in your backslashes most pages now thank thanks really to Snowden's fervent stance they're now HTTPS you'll see which is HTTP secure there's a type of um, you know security encryption that's put just in these websites huge websites that we all go to well they weren't secured before we use them constantly. There's a great organization called the EFF, the Electronic Frontier Foundation. It, this is a nonprofit. These are all people that you know donate their time and brilliantly give constant, constant insight into everything. I mean, I just logged onto their page. We have an array of white papers and and you know news items and you know uh, who has your back, protecting your data from government requests, special four hundred four, what won't you, what you won't find in the U.S. special report, uh, defend in innovation, how to fix our broken patent system because the the use of patents for, well, I mean, not just for software, but also for, you know, pharmaceutical drugs and, and even uh, strains of plants is out of control. You know, the, these things, uh, you know, they evaluate, you know, they, they take an article, Security Trump's Privacy, a Senate Passes Controversial Cyber Bill. And that's from another great site called CNET, which does fantastic reviews of... Yeah, uh, big fan of CNET myself. Yeah, I mean, it, their reviews are so... You know, they really, you can tell they have, there's no affiliation there. They're, they're telling it like it is in terms of all types of electronics. And uh, this is an article they posted on, you know, just trying to say, all right, here's this bill that the Senate's passing. Do we want this to go through? What does this actually mean for us who are just, you know, aren't, say we're just going online to go on Facebook or whatever? These are things that, that are out there. You know, EFF.org is, is a huge source, and there are many of these things. And everybody can just get, you know, can just read into it a little bit and say, oh, you know what? Uh, there's an easy way. You know, I can get a free VPN. You know, I can get a free, which is a secure, encrypted way to use Wi-Fi so that when you're out and you say, oh, I want to save my data on my phone or on my tablet or on my laptop – I can now easily be encrypted so that somebody seeing LexCorp will not see my IP address and be able to <laughs> I'm still bugging out about that, that someone actually came to you with that. Oh, yeah. These kind of things, that they're, you know, they used to be a lot more difficult to do. And the reason being, it was only the very, very you know, knowledgeable and adept uh, uh, you know, cyber people around the world that got involved in these things. But now they're trying to make it for the public to help everyone. You know, that's it just boggles my mind that so many people don't, you know, they have no idea that that's going on. You know, they know when Sony gets hacked, but 
you know, or they know when they, when when they get hacked. Like I knew when I was hacked, but you know, the book had already been written by then. But uh, <laughs> but unfortunately, so many people that, that it's only you know what's right in front of them, and with a, just a little bit of education, which you can now. You know, anybody that has the internet access and isn't censored, you can go on and you can research anything as much as you want to and find out as much as you want. You could make a life out of it like I have, or you can, uh, you know, you could just spend a couple minutes and say, oh, you know, duh, why, why wouldn't I uh, just get this free VPN on my phone? And why wouldn't I? Uh, there's often an argument that, well, I don't have anything to hide, you know, so what's the, well, hey, I, I don't feel like I have anything to hide either, but. I still don't want to have the little bit of money in that bank account saved up for the wedding taken away from me. You know, Absolutely. But, you know, I mean, I still don't want potentially, uh, you know, some loved one's, you know, name and personal information to be taken and, and given to other parties, to, you know, for nefarious purposes. I, I try to I try to really walk the line to, to put a good amount of educational material, but but to have it really be a, a page turner, have it have this. I like to entertain I like to educate through entertainment, you know, and uh, right. that's, you know, that's all what really went into this. Uh, it's something I'm very passionate about. I feel that there have been so many bit great influences on me that have opened my eyes to so many things, uh, you know, from the Bradbury's, the Orwell's, the Neil Gaiman's, the Stephen King's, uh, so so many, you know, amazing artists out there. I, I, I aspire to be like them, to be able to, uh, you know, entertain people and to hopefully, uh, you know, make a difference for the better. So um, one thing we didn't get into, um, where can people uh, get the book? The book is on sale uh, everywhere. If you're in the Long Island area, you can pick up signed copies exclusively at the Book Review in Huntington. But it's in Barnes and Noble. It's on Amazon. It's on Kindle. It's on uh, you know iBooks. So any any medium that you want it from, you can get it from. You can also go. You know, I have links to all of those things on my uh, you know on my website. The book's website is cyberwarseries.com. And yeah, you can also read the first few chapters there. There's a great book trailer, which kind of captures a scene in the first chapter. And I'm very fortunate that, you know, this is published and, and it's, you know, it's so widely available. It's it's currently being sold around the world as well. So, you know, it's in English in the UK and Australia, and there's a lot of translating talks going on as well, you know, so hopefully it'll be in Italian in Italy. And No, know. that'd be very cool. Yeah. I know we got so uh, caught up with that, which don't get me wrong, I was having so much fun discussing that. I know we didn't even get a chance to, like, you know, touch on your work with uh, RuneWorks, the uh, the company that you founded. Yeah, that you know, that's that's kind of my dream. I've known the struggle to get published in most mediums, <laughs> and uh, I have a lot of very talented friends in in all kinds of walks of life and all kinds of different works of art. You know, whether it's music, whether it's fine art, whether it's comic books, whether it's fiction or poetry. And years ago, when I started to get published, I said, you know what? I what I would love to do is have kind of a, a production company that could. That could really do it all. That you know, anything that we feel is a good piece of art, let's try and get it out there. And so I've had it up there. You know, it's been somewhat promoting myself, but I, I wanted to go a lot, you know, beyond that. It wasn't really just. It wasn't supposed to be about me. And so, right. I did a lot of reviews and invited a lot of people that had done various works to to start to come together and work with me. And so I worked with the filmmakers that made the book trailer. You know, our publisher paid for it, but I think we did a fantastic job. 
that's a couple of you know very talented guys that uh, graduated NYU Film School and, and worked with me on that and. You know, so now I've worked with people that have gotten a lot of their works out there. You know, I, I have a, a comic book that we're in talks with some publishers now for a graphic novel that I edited and helped with the kind of the story and the writing, a book from Ivan O'Neill who wrote and drew this amazing book called Blackwood State that's, you know, it's about a young woman trying to uh, make it in, in school as an English major and as a writer, trying to make it as a writer and having to drink her way through it, hallucinating Shakespearean uh, <laughs> characters and I read the uh, the previews on the website. It's, it's pretty damn funny. It's it's, it's hilarious. You know, I love uh, I love slapstick, and I also love smart humor, and it's a good mashup of them both. And uh, basically, I, I kind of facilitated a lot of uh, the creation of this. Whereas I, I brought in the coloring artist, who's a friend of mine and who's very talented. And I said, Ivan, your coloring is very good, but take a look at hers. And he's like, Wow, you know, this this brings a whole new life to it. And so. Um, you know, and I helped, you know, with some of, with the formatting and some of the editing that just kind of, you know, as a team effort, we made what I think is a, a beautiful book. You know, of course, the aspiration there is not just to have it a, a, in a kind of comic graphic novel form, but also maybe to get it on Adult Swim, you know, because I think it's that kind of <laughs> that kind of thing. That would be great to see. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's where we're really hoping for that. We've, we've had some talks with uh, there's supposed to be somebody that could possibly put that in place that's taking a look at it. So we got our fingers crossed on that. Very cool, but, man. Yeah, uh, You know, it's it's from the ground up with, you know, very little to no money. And, and it's basically just a band of artists that. You know, I've been open to anybody that wants to uh, get involved, and and people have come in to help me market and to set up and to do PR and 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 also just bring a lot of you know art to light. And so uh, yeah, it's it's gone great. You know, the site is runeworks.com, R-U-N-E-W-O-R-K-S. I'm very very happy to see that we're starting to really you know pick up some steam and get some other projects going that that you know we'll see the light of day so that you know uh, the world can enjoy them and. It would be my dream to say, all right, you know, my production house and, and team is a part of a film rendition of Cyber War. And for Ivan O'Neill's Blackwood State to see, you know, that come alive on, uh, you know, Cartoon Network or something, you know, I mean, I think that we, you know, we might be getting there where, uh, you know, it's it's if you make good art and you, you do good things, uh, you know, I feel that your hard work can pay off and, and you know, I'm very lucky. See, in that way, whoever else may try to drive cross country uh, without brakes, you know, maybe they can then turn and hear the story and be like, hey, you know what? RJ did it. I can do it, too. <laughs> I would recommend, you know, to fix the brakes. <laughs> I was thinking maybe more in a metaphorical sense, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it is. It is possible. You know, it's it definitely, it's, it, you know. I was oh, I was told boy. long ago, you know, that you know I, I could do anything that I wanted to do, and uh, I'm blessed to have that opportunity. And some people have a lot more difficult circumstances than me, but I think if you, uh, you know, if good person and you're you're making good art and you're really uh, working on that, that you can you can find a way, I and mean, anybody could do that. Definitely, RJ. This has been so much fun talking to you, man. I'm really glad I got a chance to sit and chat with you. I had a great time. Thank you so much. And definitely. Uh, but before we go, I know you gave us the information as where you can find a cyber war and rune works, though. But um, any other things you want to uh, plug? Well, the only other thing I'd put out there as a part of RuneWorks, I, I'm a huge comic book fan. So I, I created Pow Kabam, which is just kind of a comics division that probably the end of this week and early next week, we're going to start to have some reviews of comics 
and uh, just a lot of fun things. I mean, you'll see Blackwood State all over there. You can read the first six pages and, and you know, laugh at those. But we're going to have a lot of fun looks at comics all across the board. Anybody that's a fan of V for Vendetta and David Lloyd, you know, tune in. Powkabam.com, P-O-W-K-A-B-A-M, you know, because that's going to be our, our big uh, kickoff as a nice piece on him. Very cool. All right, guys. Well, you heard it all here, so hopefully you go and check that out. And that'll do it for another episode of Adrian Has Issues, and we will see you next issue. This is Jake. And this is Travis. And we are the Drunken Dork Podcast. Tune in every week and listen to us discuss the finer points on superheroes, the latest pop culture news, as well as all of our favorite blues. You can listen to us on iTunes, TuneIn Radio, or the Stitcher app for Android. And be sure to catch up on all of our episodes by visiting us over at www.drunkendorkpodcast.wordpress.com. And remember, folks, you have one liver. Ruin it well. <laughs>